Welcome back to Building Better Basketball Season 2, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Today I'm joined by Sydney Masters, the Mental Skills Coach at the Arizona Diamondbacks in Major League Baseball. Sydney has experience in sports psychology and cognitive performance. Suffice to say, Sydney has a lot of experience seeing how athletes' brains work when things are going well, and probably most importantly, when things aren't. I can confidently predict this pod will leave the coaches with plenty to think about, and I can't wait for this discussion. Welcome to Building Better Basketball, Sydney, and thank you so much for giving up some of your time today to come on. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited. I feel like I'm going to learn more from you, you know, and just learning what you guys are doing too, but hopefully I can leave some some breadcrumbs for everyone listening. Sydney, can you tell us a little bit about um, what the mental skills coach at a major league baseball franchise does? Yeah, ooh, big loaded question, but I, I think it's good for context that I've got two other guys that work with me too. So we're a little team. Um, we have, uh, I'm sure, Zach Brandon, myself, and Charlie Jowson. So we all work in conjunction together throughout our minor league development system. So that could be players anywhere from the age of 16 all the way to, you know, 30 plus. Um, so we work from that minor league into supporting um, players in the major league uh, system too. So we're kind of spread a little bit. Um, but with that being said, we do a lot of support, right? We support our players in a lot of ways that um, whether it's off the field uh, issues that happen, whether it's on the field, maybe we kind of become that, that soundboard for guys experiencing stress, um, performance-related issues, people maybe managing confidence, uh, motivation. Um, sometimes we're just there to kind of shoot the breeze with them as well, uh, which is probably my favorite part, getting to know these players so we can make an impact longer term. I think one thing that we do very well is we're not so much about, hey, let's give you a big dose of mental skills or here, let's talk about mental performance, but we almost do like micro dosing and we're here for the long term, not just the short term. We're not, you know, people that are going to super motivate you in the in moments where you may need it the most, but we're going to learn about you to find out the ways that you can sustainably like motivate yourself, for example. Um so we do a lot, mostly our work is with the players, but we also support our coaches. And I think that's really important because the, we, the players are not uh, as elite as they can be if they don't have elite coaches behind them too. So we support the play or we support the coaches by maybe having those conversations about, hey, how can you get the most out of some guy? How can you connect better? Um, even with our coaches, like, stress burnout uh we will also be that sounding board when we go to our affiliate teams and and visit there so we're very much a, a support system and i wouldn't have it any other way but um yeah it's kind of a very brief brief introduction of what we of what we get to do so you talked there about working with the coaches so is that a case of regularly giving them updates on the players or is that you giving them some feedback on how they can better communicate with certain players or do you just kind of take it is it a real case-by-case -case basis depending on the player and also yeah. I presume the coach sometimes you're going to get a coach that maybe pushes back a little bit against what you're saying sure no it's a great question so I think what we do really well or try to is we have we want to be able to respect the player's privacy to a certain extent so if we're 
we make sure that we let the player know, hey, if we're talking about confidence issues or we're talking about, um, you know, something off the field, if they don't want coaches to know, that's we're not going to let the coaches know, right? We're going to encourage them to maybe speak with the coaches about those those issues, but it won't be us uh, coming to them to kind of tell them. So, but one thing that with the coaches, we will, I think it's a, the partnership is really important because we, I like to think of mental skills or mental performance as just a secondary brain to coaches. Like coaches have this really vast knowledge of the skills of the the physical, the technical, the tactical of baseball, and they have this depth of experience. But we also have like this this other brain that we can bring about, hey, your experience is wonderful, but let's add to it. Like let's put some more tools in your tool belt, whether it's how to communicate with a player, like you're saying, how to give feedback, um, how to get through to a player, figuring out, uh, I think mostly, I mean, motivation always comes to mind for me. So it's mostly, Hey, how do I get this guy to want to do more (laughs) or because his potential is just right over the hump. So how do I get him to do more or want to do, um, to reach that potential? So sometimes those are the conversations. Uh, I think our value is our value can come through with coaches is how do coaches frame questions to get more in-depth answers from players or having the players open up. And I, I also think since we're not around the coaches all the time, we will, we'll sort of, um, when we check in with coaches, we'll, we'll be able to say like, Hey, how can we support you? Like, do you need anything? Um, yeah. How, how do we, how do we make these, or how do we help these players uh, maybe do some things that the front office wants them to do from a technical or a, a tactical um, aspect. And we kind of brainstorm. It's a part, it really is a partnership, I think, uh, with that second brain. So we're, we're, we don't dominate by any means. And, you know, we're, we're happy if coaches push back because that means that we're, we've got to reevaluate too. Maybe we didn't deliver something correctly. Um, and we have to, I'm always a big fan of respecting somebody's playing experience because they've done it way longer than I've probably been doing my job. So I always want to respect that and honestly just learn from them. You talked a little bit there about sometimes you're a sounding board for coaches. There's so much research in, um, uh, across all sports and across the whole world that coaching burnout is a significant issue and coaches deal with stress in a, in a myriad of, of different ways and I imagine it gets the the ways of dealing with stress to to put it I suppose politely as you move up the levels can get more dangerous in terms of you have more resources more downtime more everything like that um, just because I think there'll be a lot of coaches that are listening to this that are community-based coaches who probably have their own um mental challenges around um coaching what are some of the things that that i guess you would um have done maybe with a coach that that you can suggest that maybe they do to to help them with that yeah yeah a great question again right and i'll give a little bit of background of you know maybe some things that we see that kind of lead to burnout within baseball too so there's 140 plus games, um, 162 with the major leagues, but that 140 something, I'm not exactly sure how many games in a season for baseball. 
it is relentless. It's constant and there's no breaks. Um, you know, this past year, the minor leagues had instituted a Monday was a universal day off for all, all teams. So you play six days a week, you have one day off six days a week, one day off. It, it's, it's pretty relentless. So it's brutal. So, um, and, and you're doing this very similarly, the same thing over and over and over again. So it becomes very monotonous. Um, so in combination of there's not a lot of variety, um, the fact that you're away from your family and friends and you don't necessarily get a choice where you go coach uh, in this system, which is, in, which is interesting. And then on top of that, uh, some, some coaches believe that the, the performance of players is a direct reflection of them as a coach, which is very, it's a hard belief to, to separate. Um, because you are not your players. You can influence them as much as you want, but you are, are not the person that's out there swinging the bat or you know, shooting the shot, right. Or, um, throwing the pitch it, and it's tough. And I think like the, I think the, that, that belief is shifting and I, and I think it's, our coaches are totally better for it because it's such a tough, it's, it's tough to hang your hat on, a, on somebody else's performance, right? If, even if any coaches think back to when they were playing, how hard it is to feel confident when you aren't necessarily thinking about the things that you can control that lead to your performance. Um, so like, yeah, I think that those, that context is really important to, to understand, but for, to be that soundboard, I think it's, we do a lot of question asking for the coaches of, Hey, what's, what is on your mind? Um, you know, what are the main stressors? Have you chatted with your family? Have you, you know, how is your downtime? Right. I, I read somewhere, someone said this it is your, somebody said once that if your recovery or how you kind of recover from, from big nights or big games or big days, like, maybe you go out and you drink or you do anything like things that aren't helpful for recovery. If you have to recover from your downtime, it's probably not, and it's probably not a good thing to do. <laughs> right. So it, yeah, that's, that's pretty much like some of those conversations we'll have. Uh, and I always thought that saying was really unique. It's like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. If you have to recover from something that you do to decompress, it's yeah. probably not and that goes for players too right same with players if at the end of the day you just want to forget about a game well what's the repercussion of you trying to decompress so how do we get healthier healthier or more things that you don't have to recover very long from um, yeah. that can impact your next day's performance uh, and honestly it's you know even though coaches may not be doing a ton of physical things the, the, the thought process, right? Your thoughts, your, your brain power, your mental state is so important for you to be able to, sorry, for you to be able to like be present with your players. Players know when you aren't there. Like they know when you are disconnected from what's going on um, or when your mind's somewhere else. It's, it may not seem like it, but, you know, we can go around our players and say, hey, how's, so-and-so and and they're like I don't know I mean seems kind of you know he doesn't seem himself or you know players notice because they're around each other all the time they become your family so I think we yeah really I I think sometimes it's focusing on yes we want to support you with the players but we also want to support you in your recovery and doing things that excite you and doing things that make you happy 
despite all the things that you can't control. Um, because you're going to, you need to bring your best self because you are a performer as a coach. And again, even though they're not doing physically anything that was once when they were an athlete, quote unquote, but they are a performer and coaching is a performance. So we want them to kind of view it as that too. I think there's two things that one that I've always had to keep at the front of my mind whenever I'm coaching any sport, like you are not your athletes, whether you win or you lose their performance you're just a, a facilitator so you, you we'll come back to that in a minute with my next um thing i want to next pitch i want to throw you to use a, an analogy for you um and the other one that i i hadn't thought about that either the you don't want to if you're doing something to de-stress you don't want to then have to build in a period of time to recover from that which yeah that is really um really uh that will promote some thought, I think. So the one that I was going to come to, so we have it, um, obviously in basketball, it's a make or miss. It's referred to as a make or miss sport with shooting. Baseball is very similar with the at-bats. You, you either strike out or you, you get on base. How do you help players deal with the concept of they, they're doing everything right in their process and they can't, control the outcome because that's something that that happens a lot in basketball yeah <laughs> that's an everyday battle you know right because even the road to the major leagues is so long and it again it's very relentless and it never seems like you're going anywhere while you're in season and then when you can reflect on the season you're like oh yeah I made or they're like yeah I made some improvements but in the moment right guys in in baseball it's for hitting specifically the approach, they call it approach. And I'm no hitting guru by any means. I obviously did not play um, baseball in, in that sense, but, but sticking to an approach, like being stubborn to an approach, despite when results aren't coming, like, yeah, we can, we can have this conversation about like, okay, what are the things that you can control? And at each at bat, what are the things that you can't control during each at bat? But I honestly like to think about it in in setting, um, well, based off that, I like to think about, okay, what is within your control that you can look back on a game and say, okay, I did these things correctly. Like I can hang my hat that I did this correctly. So whether it's, um, so for guys, hey, I didn't swing at any, you, they can look at data. So we, I mean, we've got vast data that pops out from, from every game. So they could look at data and say, you know, I stepped into this game and I didn't want to swing at any pitches outside of the strike zone. And then they can go back and say, okay, did I do that? And so now they can see it in real time. Hey, I set my goal. That was totally in my control. I saw the pitches. I only swung, even though, you know, I was hitting pop-ups or, you know, they were ground balls or they were line drives right to two guys in the field. They can say, well, at least I stuck to that goal and said, I hit everything or I only swung, excuse me, I only swung with pitches that are in the zone. So it's like one very, very simple way to look at it. Or like they're like, so the approach can also be like only like um, for fastballs, right? Hey, they're only, if their approach is to, to sit fastball. So wait for a fastball in the zone to try. Like that again is something within their control that they can hang their hat on at the end of the day and say, okay, yep. I only swung at the fastballs in, in this scenario or this situation. Like I stuck to my approach there, despite what the results are. Even beyond that though, 
Uh, I like to think about it as you can look out in the outfield and see this enormous scoreboard with your with your batting average and the score of the game and your stats of the whole season. And it's quite intimidating. And these guys see this every single day. I don't think you have that in basketball, right? No, Where... only, only in the game. They would be able to yeah. see their stats in the game. Yeah. Yeah. They can see their yearly, like they can see their average in the middle of a season in the game. And it is, it's, it's intimidating, you know? And then once you see that players minds can go, 10,000 different ways and they can sit there and say, well, if I just get three more hits, my average will go up X amount of points and then I'll be at 250. And that's what I need to go up to the next level. Like you, they can get caught in this rabbit hole. So I like to, to use a visual of the scoreboard of like, yes, there's the outcome scoreboard, right? There's the stat scoreboard, but then it's like, what's your scoreboard? Like, what are you, what's your personal scoreboard saying? And where, how are you racking up the score? for the things that are important to your game, that process piece of what are the little things that if you do these right, despite the results right now, they will put you in a position for the future where your score, your personal scoreboard will look beefier and meatier than your, your outcome scoreboard or your actual numbers scoreboard. So it's like one, one very simple way of, of kind of looking at that. So it's like, scoreboard and then you like your personal scoreboard side to side i think that's that's really good and it's a it's a visual that um whilst the the stats are slightly different on the scoreboard i think that the analogy um carries over and so does the the especially around shooting it's about what kind of shots is a player going to take are they only going to shoot from certain points on the floor are they only going to shoot when they're when they've got an open shot or when they are um, on a fast break or or something like that, I think it's important if you're listening to this to kind of take what Sydney's saying and think. Even if you pause the podcast and come back to us in twenty minutes, you've got my permission to do that. And you actually think, right? How can I put that into a basketball context? And then we can move on from there. You talked about how hectic the baseball season is, Sydney, and um, in all sport, I think we preach the importance of taking some time to review how you've um, performed and get some feedback, whether that's giving yourself feedback, asking for feedback. Um, how does that work in the hectic environment of baseball where you, you're playing uh, one day and then you play the next day and you play the next day and you play the next day and you, you get seven days of games before you actually get a chance to have a break and, and take some feedback on board? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm not sure how our guys do it, but they do it very well. So they actually, what I have found or observed is that they do process feedback every day, right? So they have, guys have practice the afternoon before they have a game. So they practice every single day. And that's kind of, I always say like, or I always think about practice is the training, right? Training. Uh, practice mindset or put your training hat on and then you have to almost forget that you were in a training um, environment and go on the same field and go play a game and that's a very difficult transition so I give all baseball players major kudos because that's a very hard transition to have an actual practice uh, before before a game um, so in in regards to feedback but during the training period of a couple hours 
that's when they can work with their coaches. That's when they can kind of, maybe they had thought about something after the game that they wanted to do, or they needed to reflect on. And then it's up to them to either speak with their coaches to bring it up um, during that training time or make the decision to, to say, Hey, I, I should probably work on, or I should probably get out of my comfort zone and work on something harder because last night's guy that threw 97 miles an hour blew me up. And I all have not taken um, pitches off of velo machine ours, or even for, so that's like hitters. Um, I would say, and relievers also have that kind of, they're more active almost every day, but then you have your starting pitchers, which is kind of, they have a whole five, six, potentially seven days until they pitch again. So they have more time Our starting pitchers have more time for feedback and to kind of process it. But to be honest, what I'm, what I'm always impressed by is guys that are really good in this game can take what they need to take the night after a game and never think about that game or what they need to do again um, until they take, like they take the little nuggets and they bring it to the next day, but they don't hold on to the results and they don't hold on to any, any of those um, maybe crappy things that happened in the game before. And it's impressive because since it is relentless, they really need to. Um, so I think they're good. They're good at that as kind of flushing yesterday's day and starting brand new again with just a little bit more knowledge than they had the previous day based on experience. So I just remembered something that I wanted to ask you from before as well. So you talked about how in baseball you're working with um, athletes that are ranging from 16 years old to men in their late 30s. Um, and baseball is very different where when you get drafted out of high school, you, you very rarely go straight into the the big shiny lights of the major leagues you you go all the way down to um triple a ball or or something like like what we would call in australia the thirds or the fourths or something like that so i imagine for young men coming into that environment they go from being the the big fish in a small pond to being um a, a small fish in a very strange pond what are some of the i suppose challenges that you because that would be a similar situation in basketball when a player moves up a level or finds themselves at a representative level from from a club level what are some of the um techniques i suppose you, you tell those um young men to work on yeah it, so in, in baseball and in major league baseball there's typically like five levels before you get to to the major leagues um and guys can bop around depending on you know quality um, of performance and whatnot. I, th I think all, not all, I shouldn't say all, but a very frequent uh, situation that happens is that they sometimes players will think that they're finished products um, when they move. Hey, what got you from low A to high A is not going to be the same thing that gets you from high A to double A. And it's, I, if I could impart like if anybody in our organization is listening, it's, I want to, I always want our players to know that you are never a finished product. And even in the major leagues, like they know that they're not a finished product. Um, it's a perpetual pursuit of just trying to, to, to play against yourself or compete against yourself. I think a lot of guys have expectations that they're going to shoot up a system and some do right. Um, and some don't, uh, but sometimes those expectations can really impede on being open to suggestions or adjustments or growth. Um, and so 
I, I think again, like our, our support in that process is to acknowledge, Hey, these are your strengths, like stick to your strengths, but also like, don't, don't be afraid to build new strengths or, uh, to even let go of some of the strengths too. Like sometimes your biggest strength can also be a weakness. And so when you meet your, meet your maker at some point, sometimes your, your strengths just going to look different and that's okay. And so the identity piece, um, we've had a lot of guys who are pitchers, starting pitchers that their whole identity was throwing really, really hard. And then when they hit double A, triple A, they realize that, oh, it's not just about throwing 99 or hundred miles per hour. It's about how do you pitch in a zone? How do you put the ball where you want it? How do you have command of the ball? And, um, it kind of shakes their identity a little bit because they've been told their whole life, Hey, no, you'll make it to the big leagues if you just throw really hard, but there's so much more to that. Um, and they have to learn it. So for us guys that are successful are the ones that always are willing to adapt and always willing to kind of take that feedback and say, with good reason, they have to have a why, you know, a lot of guys, I'm sure all of these coaches know Players aren't going to change something unless they have a pretty good reason to change it. Just to tell somebody to change something is not going to get them to buy in and change what they've been doing for a really long time. So having as a coach, if you give a player a good reason why they should change um, and they are willing to be adaptable and go through that discomfort, that's a pretty good player that, that you kind of, I would suggest keeping, keeping as long as you can, because that's, they're going to be more willing than others. Sydney, just to change tack. For the last question, one of the things that I um, saw that you do um, away from baseball is you work with um, people that run marathons as well and how they can handle the pressure of running a marathon and the resilience to, to, to work through what is ultimately a real test on the human body. And that creates so much apprehension and anxiety, which you can have apprehension and anxiety about anything and I'm just really curious because they, they wouldn't be professional like million dollar professional athletes like the the baseball players that you're working with so they'll come with their own baggage and, and challenges to and motivations for completing the marathon so like can you just I guess give us a bit of context around how that works and how you have to to change, I guess, some of the messages you give for, for the marathon runners? The the mental performance or the mental skills don't necessarily change, for me at least, like we've all have pretty similar brains. Um, some people would say like, oh, they're wired differently or these people are wired different differently. People that are really, really good at what they want to do naturally work against our own brains like biology. So our brain is made, is our brain is made or is created, excuse me, our brain is created to protect us and keep us comfortable. So anything that kind of threatens that, we we go internal and we're like, nope, we're good. We don't need that. We don't want to do that. Um, so as you can imagine, running long distances is not something that our bodies, that our brain is accustomed to our body doing. And so a lot of times our brain will, will start to make excuses as to why we shouldn't do it or why we can get away with like pushing it away. Because again, that's a, it's a semi-physical, physical threat. And I put quotations around there, but it's also a psychological threat. Well, what if I can't achieve this, right? What if I can't do this? And so now we're 
talking ourselves out of trying to achieve something that we do maybe really want. So it's sometimes, and both with baseball and any athletics, I, I think understanding like why the thoughts roll through your head um, is important because then you can kind of combat them and work against that biology of, oh, I just have this thought because it, my brain's trying to keep me comfortable and keep me safe. But anything worth doing or anything worth achieving, you have to work out of that discomfort area. So some people like to take our thoughts as like laws and rules. And if we think a thought, it must be true, but it's totally not. Like every thought we have, we don't have to believe it, right? We can, this might be seem outrageous, but like if I have a thought to kick my dog, right? I would never kick my dog, but if I had the thought, like I can think, you know what? I'm gonna kick my dog right now. I don't have to kick my dog. And so that logic says, just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you physically would do it. And I think we, we, we hold on to, well, if my brain says this, then, then I'm going to do, I'm going to listen to it. And elite athletes do not listen to their brains uh, mm -hmm. in a good way. Yeah. Right. In a good way. Right. Like, um, because we're asked, we're asking them to do really uncommon, like abnormal things and to embrace it. Same with coaches, like having a difficult conversation. Oh, I'm going to avoid having a difficult conversation with a athlete because I don't want to feel the discomfort, but good coaches know that they have to lean into that discomfort and they have to have that conversation, even though it'd be easier to avoid it all altogether. So that went on a bit of a, a tangent there, but I, but I do think regardless of performers or with, with marathon runners, military, basketball, baseball, it's, it's not necessarily like nobody's really wired that differently. We've just worked around the natural essence of what our brain is built for, if that makes sense. 100%. Sydney, the last question, the one we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, if you could ask any coach, whether they're with us or passed on a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be? Yeah, when I, this is a, a good one. So I, I had a couple of thoughts, right? But honestly, I, I've been very interested in how coaches build a culture around a team. And so one of the, and I don't know if you're familiar with American football. Um, I know you talked a little bit about soccer, right? But yeah. in American football, the Rams, um, they their head coach, Sean McVay, he is one of the youngest, I think he had, he was 30 years old, youngest guy to get head coach position, youngest head coach to win a Super Bowl. And the, the stir around him was the culture that he had created on the Rams team. And I'm very, very curious about, you know, what was, did you have conversations about this? Did you like, did you have conversations prior to creating this culture? Was it something that, that just happened? Was it conscious? Like, or did, did it, you know, was it already built before you got there? There's just so many unanswered questions for that, uh, that I, and much more specific ones, but it would probably be wrapped around how did you build the culture that you did in, in a short amount of time to make significant changes in how a system is run. So I think that would be it. Brilliant. Sydney, thank you so much for your time. I, um, I don't think I've enjoyed recording an episode of our podcast more than, more than that. So um, I really look forward to um, now following the performances of the Arizona 
Diamondbacks as well when the Major League um, Baseball season um, starts. And um, yeah, um, definitely you've given me plenty to uh, think about. And um, I'm sure our coaches listening have taken lots out of it. So thank you so much. Happy Christmas and um, have a great new year. Uh, you too. Thanks so much. This has been enjoyable. I appreciate it.